Hey, welcome to the What's Up Castleberry podcast episode number 60. It's Drew and Andy, your favorite podcast guests, along with our lovely and talented producer, Robin. And we've got an exciting interview with Rob Swanson today. How are you, my friend? What's going on in your world? Well, Drew, I would just like to call you up. You introduced us as people's favorite podcast hosts. So my question is, how do you know? <laughs> well, it's just pure speculation. I'm in my own head. You know, I, I've, we've gotten only five-star reviews. Hey, that's a good segue like and subscribe hit the five star on the on the review button let us shoot up the charts but yeah um i i would say probably maybe within our families uh and absolutely. a couple of close friends absolutely true and i i, I want to let you know drew that you are my favorite podcast host <laughs> well you are mine as well Thank you. see there you go we are each other's favorite podcast host <laughs> we are legends in our own mind we are so excited to have rob swanson on in just a moment. But until then, we're going to now take a sponsor break. We are looking for a new sponsor to partner with us on the What's Up Castleberry podcast. If you have a, a business, a, a particular passion that's Castleberry centric or right here in this local area, we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to connect with you, celebrate and highlight what you're doing in order to make uh, known to the people, our listeners, uh, all the great things that are happening in Castleberry. So reach out to us via social media our website, all with the name What's Up Castleberry. Welcome back, listeners. We are at the point of the show that we know that you like the most because Drew and I speak a little bit less and we get to hear from a fascinating guest. Today, our guest certainly fits that definition because of the many projects that he is involved in and works on in the creative world around our city. And so uh, I would like to welcome my friend, Drew's friend, and a friend of many of our previous guests, Rob Swanson, to the show. Welcome, Rob. Well, thank you for having me. Rob, you have perhaps the most professional get-up studio to record from. You are shaming us. Tell us where you are. I'm in my home office where I work from home, obviously. And uh, the setup is because I do a lot of voiceover for videos in my day job, some voice acting for, you know, anybody who wants it. And I record a lot of audiobooks too. Let's jump in. Rob, you are very familiar with Castleberry. You have many friends in the city. You attend a church in the city. You are often in the city. Where is your favorite place to visit in or around Castleberry? Well, I think the honest answer would be Metro Life Church, where I obviously attend. And <laughs> because it's a wonderful church that not just preaches God, but helps develop people and uh, is really involved in the creative arts. That's good. I mean, it would be weird for you to recommend a church that you didn't go to. So that kind of makes sense. Although I'm sure both of you go to great churches, too. Um, <laughs> but really, Castleberry is an amazing place because like 15 years ago, when we were first looking to move around, we looked at Castleberry and said, no way. Because driving up through all the adult places on 1792 really made me uncomfortable with the little kids that I had. And then all of a sudden, it seems like the council decided to start being a government and they have reshaped Castleberry into a beautiful place. It's fun to drive through uh, the art studio there is terrific. Um, I'm, I'm really impressed with the city planning of Castleberry. 
that is definitely one of the motivations behind this this podcast. Castleberry really is kind of rewriting it, its story. And uh, that, to me, is a perfect segue to kind of talk a little bit about what you do. You are the president of Prevail Press with authors on your team that discuss and cover just a, a wide range of subjects. Uh, one of the things that you specialize in is micro publishing. Could you tell us what that is? I would be glad to. But first, I have to kind of explain the other kinds of macro publishing that's out there. You have your traditional publishers uh, that we all know about. You have your vanity press people who basically charge between like $6,000 and $15,000. And they make all of them make their money off of the author rather than the books sold. Micro publishing was my attempt to bridge the gap between all those choices and uh, self-publishing by doing the major portion of the self-publishing part, the publishing part for people. Micro publishing also refers to the fact that I'm a one-man show. You don't pay a lot to publish with me. I don't take every kind of book. And we have a small band of writers that help promote one another. So that's the goal. Micro can also refer to how much money I make off of this because it's not much. <laughs> because I only take 10% of a royalty of a book and leave 90% of the royalty to the author, which is flipping the model. With traditional publishers, you if you've written a book and you get past whatever small advance they make you are making maybe between 15 and 20 cents a book. With my company, you're making generally around $2 per book sold. Mm, yeah, so Microbook has got, Micropublishing has got nothing to do with writing your story on a post-it note, as uh, as maybe I first thought. You know, the no, but really, it's a good really way small. to start. It is a good way to start, yeah. Rob, is, um, also we were, we were digging around, another uh, distinctive of Prevail Press is that you are author-focused, and you mentioned that that kind of expresses itself in royalty division and things like that. What what else does it mean to be, to be author-focused? I take as much time with... As a, an author as I possibly can, uh, making sure that they're, they fit our mold, that they understand what we can do and can't do. We don't make promises that we can't keep. But the most important side of this is I encourage authors to write what they want to write. Too many other publishers will say, okay, you're in this genre, you're going to stay in this genre. And yet, as you can tell by the books I've written, I bounce all over the place. We do provide a bunch of services for the author as well, an, an author's page on our website, consultation on how to grow their platform, things like that. Yeah, that's wonderful and really makes sense as as well, because books are supposed to tell the stories of those who write them, not those who want to make money off them. So I appreciate that. Rob, it's been said many times, people have said it to me, I've said it in jest, that uh, everybody has a book in them. What are your thoughts on that statement? And how would someone discover what their book or or what their story is? Well, see, and I would change that to everybody has a lot of books in them <laughs> because every person is a conglomeration of stories themselves. They have multiple interests, multiple expertise. So uh, when we're talking about nonfiction, most people have some expertise in a certain area that could be developed into a book. So that's obviously one book that someone might have, but novels 
are just brought forth from our limbic system to explore our own psyche and to touch other people's. Do I think everybody has a book in them? Absolutely. Do I think everybody can write that book? Eh, maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> you, you're talking about me, aren't you? Because I think I've got I got several encyclopedias in me. I'm rather a complex person, but I'm not sure where I'd start in, in telling some of those stories. So very interesting what you were saying about stories within our psyche and pulling those stories out to speak to another psyche and, and things like that. Tell, tell us a little bit more about the the psychology there. I know that's a, a thing that you've you've studied and had interest I in. Actually, uh, the book I published last year, Creativity Wears Boots, is all about that. The concept that the three brain systems that we have that are interdependent but don't actually speak to each other create the friction from which art is rendered. I know I'm being kind of vague there, but I do want you to buy the book because not only does it talk about creativity, it explains so much about people, why we do things that we don't want to do and why we do things we know we shouldn't do and why we do the things that we do do. So, yeah, it, there's so much in us trying to get out, trying to connect to other people. Uh, we do it through conversation. We do it through painting and drawing, acting. But books tend to be a lot more personal. You've heard the term write what you know, which doesn't mean you need to be writing about what's going on in your neighborhood. It just means you're going to be mapping your own experiences and your own feelings onto some wild concept, perhaps, that still is brought home because you share with other people experience and feelings and things that are important to you. I call them touchstones and every story should have a lot of touchstone, touchstones in them. Mm. Yeah, I love that, Rob. That's, that's interesting. So, so say I've got, like you say, several stories within me. What does the process look like of pulling those out and putting them in some kind of order or process, you know, in the context of a book? What's the journey from the psych to the print shop? <laughs> sure. Of course, there's a lot of different kinds of processes. There's the outliners, the people who want to take a piece of paper and write, this is what happens. You have your seat of the pantsers who just kind of start writing and go through and uh, eventually wander to an ending. I've found the best process is with note cards or sticky notes where I might have some ideas and there's a difference between an idea and a story. But when I'm ready to take an idea and develop into a story, I need to start breaking that into scenes. And each sticky note, for example, you can write what that scene is in a quick summary and then start sticking them up on a wall, right? And then all of a sudden you've got these big tent poles that you know you have to bridge to. So now you've got other sticky notes that you can fill in. And pretty soon you have your story on the wall. And at that point, you start fleshing out each scene. There are a lot of writers who prefer to write from the beginning to the end. But there are several writers who like to develop scenes out of order um, and rearrange them if necessary. That makes a lot of sense. And while I've never written a book on a weekly basis, uh, part of what Drew and I do for a living is telling stories, uh, you know, ancient stories from the scriptures, but uh, interpreting 
through them through the lens of the stories within our life. And while the, the, the medium is very different, I imagine some of the process is pretty similar. Oh, I'm sure it is. Developing an idea, working it together, unifying it so that it all makes sense together. Absolutely. Rob, one of the things that I find when I write to speak is that there are certain stakes tent poles that I hang different elements of a story on. You, you know, I like my stories to be humorous. I like there to be a, a good guy, a bad guy, a protagonist, the whole thing. What would you say as a writer are some of the key elements, the critical elements maybe of, of telling a good story? Well, I think the first thing that you need to realize is that every book, whether it's fiction or nonfiction, is an argument. An argument in the sense that with a nonfiction book, you as the author are trying to change somebody's mind, give them a new viewpoint, challenge their status quo with what you know to be true. A novel, a screenplay or a teleplay or a stage play is all wrapped around conflict. Your characters display who they are because they're having friction with other people and other events and other, other things. Probably one of the, my biggest problems is in my first draft, my characters tend to be too nice. They aren't crunchy. They're not sinful as much as they probably should be. They don't have a whole lot of rough spots that need to be rubbed and changed. And that's a weakness that I've, I've started to recognize and I'm, I'm addressing now in, as I rewrite the, my current book. But conflict is the biggest and most important thing in story because we don't talk about our feelings. If you love something, we rarely come right out and say it, especially if we don't know if that person loves us, right? Mm -hmm. So we have to be put into situations that display our feelings, what we want, our motivations, our character. We see character by what people do, but keep in mind, character is what we are. So you've got to kind of basically create a negative shape around your character by creating conflict that reveals who they are. That's interesting because that same meta narrative, those principles happen in life too, right? That there is conflict in life. There is this battle between that which is good and that which is is bad. And we, we go through those uh, low points, those high points, those valleys and those peaks, just as a, a whole mixed bag of feelings and writing and speaking and, and publishing allows us to express and understand those feelings, which I suspect, would you say, adds a depth and a richness to life? Absolutely. Absolutely. Think about marriage for a minute. A marriage is either going to be wonderful or miserable. And the difference between the two is the wonderful people know they need to change and they want to change. And the ones who are miserable refuse to change. Marriage is designed so that we help one another grow and become the person we are. And when you're, you know, when the Bible talks about us becoming one flesh, that's important because let's face it, there's nobody I love more than my own flesh, right? So all of a sudden my wife is my flesh too. So I have to keep her in mind. Yeah, you're right. Conflict is a constant thing in people's lives and it's fascinating. If you watch television shows, 
you'll sit there and go out of your mind because that would never happen. Mm -hmm. You know, people don't do that in a professional setting. And you're right, they don't. But in television world, they create the conflict that's necessary to move a story forward. And as, as I reflect on some of my TV viewing over the last few years, the shows that seem to be popular on TV are, are the ones that reflect the conflicts that we have in real life, but reflect them in a way that help understand them and articulate them. And there, there's almost something cathartic happening that it gives us words to walk through. Yep. Just to kind of pick up on that a little bit more, I think one of the things we're, we're saying, Rob, is that creativity is an essential part of maximizing our potential. I would say it's actually required. You have three brain systems. You have your brainstem, right? The, the reptile mind that just kind of makes you breathe and gives you your, your reflexes and your reactions. It's why you blink. It's why you flinch back when something gets near your eye. You've got your limbic system. And that is the most powerful system we've got. And yet we're almost not aware of it. There is no language within the limbic system. Its language is images, smells, touch, taste, but not words. Sounds, certainly, but not words. It doesn't have a language. It doesn't have a sense of time, but it is from the limbic system that our creativity comes out. Your neocortex, that's a pretty cold piece of meat that wraps around your whole brain. And that is order. It's the time sense. It's the language. It is reason. But the two don't talk to each other. The limbic system has no way to talk to the neocortex except through art. Again, I make that that case pretty strongly in creativity wears boots. But if you want your life to be full and rich, you need to be developing whatever art form is yours. And an art form is pretty wide. It might be cooking. It might be sewing. It might be all sorts of different things. To me, that's why the church is so important because, you know, I did a lot of theater in high school. I have a degree, three degrees in theater. And then I became a Christian and so suddenly I didn't have the drive to be pursuing an acting career, but that didn't mean I didn't want to perform. Within a church, you have Hopefully, uh, you know, I've set up several uh, theater ministries, but you have plays going on. You sing, right? There's a lot of people who would not be singing if they didn't sing regularly in church. Church fosters creativity. It fosters the arts. It doesn't really think about it all that much. It just happens to flow out of a really integrated uh, mental system that is the church. I think many of our listeners were probably expecting us to talk today, Rob, about the nuts and bolts of writing a book, but really you're giving us a lesson on neuroscience and an invitation perhaps, to fulfill our potential, to get in touch with the creative, and to maximize uh, our living. As we prepare to wrap up, what advice would you give to someone who says, well, I'm not very creative, I'm not the, the artsy type? What would you say to those folks? I would say that they need to examine those themselves a little bit closer because they are. I'm, I'm thinking of one guy in particular who retired, 
convinced me that he had no artistic leanings at all. And uh, when he retired, he suddenly got this uh, HO set, right? Uh, a little train set that started out small. He just thought he'd assemble a little something. And within a year, that train set had completely taken over his basement. Um, it had sculptures, it had trees, it had landscape, it had everything. He was thinking that this kind of interest isn't art. It's just mm -hmm. something mechanical, but mm -hmm. that's art. Uh, everybody has some form of art, but maybe they are thinking of art in the wrong way. That is fascinating. Rob, sadly, we are out of time. Time just flies when uh, <laughs> when the brain is engaged. But as you said, you've written a book uh, about this relationship between the brain and between creativity. Uh, would you, in closing, tell us uh, where people can get that book, uh, the name of that book, and how they can connect with you? Absolutely. It's called Creativity Wears Boots. Uh, you can get it in Kindle, in paperback, hardback, or audiobook on Amazon or uh, Audible. Uh, they can send me an email at publisher at prevailpress.com uh, through Facebook, through Goodreads. Um, I'm kind of all over social media as much as I can be. And, you know, if you have a project that you're, you're interested in developing, I'd love to hear about it. Well, that's great. Rob, thank you so much for joining us today on the What's Up Castleberry podcast. We appreciate all that you do in uh, pulling those stories uh, out of us and uh, inviting us to live a richer, fuller, deeper life. Thank you so much. Well, Drew, that, that was fascinating from Rob. Uh, like I said in closing, I was thinking that we were just going to learn how to write a book. But we learned about the neuroscience around creativity and getting in touch with who we are. And it was a little bit different, but so, so fascinating. Drew, as we wrap up the podcast, we're moving from fascination to inspiration. And I know that you have some uh, words of wisdom contained in a quote for us. Yes, I do. Thank you. And this quote really convicts me. I am definitely very much in the process of growing in the area of compassion. Compassion has been something that has been uh, a work in progress for, for me. And so the great Dalai Lama said this, if you want others to be happy, practice compassion. If you want to be happy, practice compassion. <laughs> Good, simple quote, but a really profound quote. If you want others to be happy, practice compassion. And if you want to be happy, practice compassion. Listener, I don't know what your story is. I don't know what you've been through. But one thing I do know is that we were created to be with and for each other. We are in this community here in Central Florida, and we've been through a lot as a community, as have many around the world, would you consider demonstrating compassion for another? Would you look for opportunities to speak to a neighbor, to, to even simple things like picking up a piece of trash off the ground, to uh, offering perhaps to pray with someone, to go for a walk, to engage with the community around you? And when you actively demonstrate compassion, two things occur. Number one, the person that you are demonstrating, directing that compassion towards is going to benefit as a result of your care. And secondly, you yourself, 
will benefit from serving and giving to others. So if you want others to be happy, practice compassion. If you want to be happy, practice compassion. Thank you, Dalai Lama. And thank you, Drew, for sharing that with us. Uh, listeners, friends, as always, thank you so much for spending your time with us. We really appreciate it. We hope that what you hear is of value to you as you play your part in our community. This podcast is produced with the skill and gifts of many people, not least producer Robin, who does a great job of editing. If you want to find out more about who we are, what we do, how you can rate us, how you can share us how you can help us grow please go to what's up castleberry on facebook instagram itunes and visit our website at what's up again thank you so much for joining us and we look forward to sharing with you again next week